We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 176 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, October 28th, 2021, the day after reporting from the Washington Post that Washington football team co-owner and co-CEO Tanya Snyder at the NFL's Fall League meeting in New York told other NFL owners that she and Dan Snyder are not responsible for the leaked Bruce Allen emails. Uh, Now, Dan's lawyer had said this previously to the New York Post. Now, Tanya has said this to the other NFL owners. If it's true that the Snyders or someone working on their behalf did not leak the Bruce Allen emails, then who did leak the Bruce Allen emails? Is this going to be like deep throat in Watergate, and we don't find out the source until like decades later, who was the leaker? It wasn't me. Was it you? Were you the leaker? Because whoever was the leaker has uh, caused quite the stir. Well, hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I'm not sure whether we will have identified the leaker by the end of this show, but I can promise you that you will be a well-informed and well-entertained Washington, D.C. sports fan by the end of this show. The 2-5 and five Washington football team on Wednesday began practicing for this Sunday afternoon's game at the 3-4 and four Denver Broncos at 425. What is realistically possible for Washington the rest of this regular season? I want to get into that with you next segment. We're all so down on this team right now for so many different reasons. There are, though, 10 games left in Washington's regular season. Is the season truly over? Is this team truly done? 
or is a successful season, however you define that, still realistically possible? Both Rod Rivera and Taylor Heineke spoke on Wednesday via post-practice press conference. You will hear the best of what each guy had to say over the course of the show. I'll take you through the injury news for Washington from Wednesday. Believe it or not, we actually had some good injury news for Washington. I'll give you a proper Taylor Heineke discussion of some good stuff that he said on Wednesday. And I'll talk Washington's defense, including a bit of a rant, uh, a bit of a sounding off on this notion that Washington's defense has shown improvement in recent weeks. Not that that maybe technically isn't true, but that is such a pathetic narrative given what has happened in recent weeks. That narrative says it all about this Washington defense this season. Also, what a job by the Wizards on Wednesday night. They're already missing multiple key players. Lost Daniel Gafford to a right quad contusion, got another bad offensive game from Bradley Beal, and yet still won at the Boston Celtics, 116-107 to get to 3-1. and one. Great to see what we're seeing from the Wizards right now. All postgame, their latest win, as well as the Capitals, 4-3 overtime loss to the Detroit Red Wings at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Rich on the Washington football team off the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers this past Sunday afternoon. Writes Rich, I watched the game. Several things became clear to me. Number one, we may not win another game this season. Number two, reducing Landon Collins' playing time and removing him from safety instantly makes the defense better. This is troubling. We all know Landon can't cover in space, gets beat deep, and is too slow to be a safety. Did Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera not see this? If they didn't, we're in big trouble. If they did and still insisted on playing Collins in a position that hurts the team, then what exactly were they trying to accomplish? And what happened to competition at training camp? You can't tell me that Bobby McCain or DeShazer Everett didn't look better than Collins. The landing Collins fiasco presents fundamental questions regarding the Rivera and Del Rio coaching philosophy. Number three, Taylor Heineke is a nice story that will probably end with this season. Number four, we are approximately the same team we were last year. For whatever reason, the personnel changes have not improved our play. Another year in the same system has not provided improved confidence. If anything, we look less polished less confident. Number five, if a significant improvement in wins and play is not realized next year, this regime could be in trouble. Number six, this endless cycle of hire, reformulate, restructure, failure, and repeat is exhausting. Uh, Thank you for the email, Rich. Yes, uh, that is exhausting. I want to address, though, point number two, your Landon Collins point. Yes, a thousand times yes. This is one of the things that I've been talking about with this Landon situation. What the heck took so long to make him more of an in-the-box downhill player? It has been known for years that that is how he is at his best. To whatever extent, his best is a best. I don't get why this took so long. Like you, I'm troubled by this having taken so long. And, you know, not that DeShazer Everett is Ken Houston, but with the secondary being as bad as it has been this season, why is it that DeShazer has not played on a single defensive snap this season. Same for Jeremy Reeves. I mean, each guy did a nice job last season. Would it not be worth it to give at least one of those guys a shot this season? Email from Kendall. 
on the Washington football team, writes Kendall. I've been a Skins fan my entire life. When I was young, it was glorious to be a Skins fan. I had family that lived near the park, and every weekend we were there. I got to see all of the old players. It was a great time. I still have family there, but I don't go nearly as much since I grew up and moved from Silver Spring. I've still been a loyal fan. This past weekend, I loaded up my travel trailer and came down to Nashville for a little getaway. It's my wife and I's first anniversary. We have reservations for sandals in Jamaica, but due to the pandemic, this is year number two that we can't go. Anyway, we came down here to Nashville, never even checked the NFL schedule or even researched the Tennessee Titans, didn't even know they played here, but they do. This place is packed, electrifying. We were downtown while the game was going on, thousands of fans for both teams, great atmosphere to say the least. The energy down here reminds me of the time when I was a kid, a feeling that I will probably never have again. It's so sad to be a WFT fan. I was wearing a WFT hat down here. It's kind of like being that one Jets fan you see wandering around, but I did see another fan. She walked up to me and said, Skins. I looked at her and put my index finger up to my lips and said, shh. We both laughed and put our heads down. Uh, Thank you for the email, Kendall. Great email. You know, one of my earliest memories as a Redskins fan was in early 1988, and then again in early 1992. There being merchandise stands outside in the area selling Super Bowl gear, i.e. sweatshirts, t-shirts, etc., commemorating the skins being in the Super Bowl or having won the Super Bowl. I remember specifically one stand on or near the corner of Old Georgetown Road and Democracy Boulevard in Bethesda, for those of you familiar with that area. And that picture in my head and the notion of the team being so good that you have outdoor merchants setting up temporary shop to sell merch for the team seems so far away and so far-fetched now. Not just because you can buy your merch online now, but because the setting up of these temporary stands was a response to the greatness of the team and the demand for the merch. And both the greatness of the team and the demand for the merch have gone bye-bye. I cannot tell you how much I long for the day that those things are the case again. More so the greatness of the team than the demand for the merch, but you get the idea. I do believe that that day will come. You know, that day has to come. This can't be it. It can't be that for the rest of our lives, this is how our team is going to be. I refuse to accept that. Well, you should never accept being wronged. And a law firm that is ready to represent you if you have been wronged is Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through. Big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both past presidents of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people, smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick 
and injured. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yes, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right, so the 2-5 and five Washington football team will be at the 3-4 and four Denver Broncos this Sunday afternoon at 425. First game for Washington in this 2021 regular season in a Sunday 4 o'clock window. Uh, the only other game for Washington this season in a Sunday 4 o'clock window, as of now, is Washington's game at the Las Vegas Raiders. That game will take place on Sunday afternoon, December 5th at 4.05. How many things will happen with Washington between now and then? We can only imagine. But anyway, so what is realistically possible for Washington the rest of this regular season? I've been thinking about this. Perhaps you have as well. Washington is 2-5 and five with a minus 64-point differential. Uh, that is the second-worst point differential in the NFC. Understand, it's not just that Washington's record is bad. It's that the team has gotten beaten soundly. Four of Washington's five losses have each been by at least 11 points. And the one loss that wasn't by at least 11 points, the 2016 loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field at week one, sure didn't feel as close as the final score indicates. Washington's offense has been ravaged by injury. We all get that. Washington's schedule has been brutal. We all get that. If there is some good news with the schedule, that news is twofold. First of all, this Sunday's opponent, Denver, isn't very good. And after Washington's next opponent, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field at Week 10, the schedule does soften, at least in terms of opposing quarterbacks. Now, this is all relative because Washington still will have to play at Derek Carr and the Raiders on December 5th, and still will have to face Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys twice in three weeks in December. But this murderer's row of opposing quarterbacks will be calming down a bit, especially if Russell Wilson remains out for Washington's game against the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football on November 29th, although it's quite possible that Russell be back for that game. The second aspect of good news with Washington's schedule this season is that the schedule is heavily backloaded with NFC East games. Each of Washington's last five regular season games is an NFC East game. So as I have said, all Washington really has to do this season is stay afloat, is stay in the fight, as Davey Martinez would say, until the team gets to those last five regular season games. The problem, of course, is that the Cowboys are running away with the division right now. So the division could be decided by the time that Washington gets to its last five regular season games. The Cowboys are five and one. Each of the other three teams in the NFC East is two and five. It's funny. Washington is technically second in the NFC East because Washington is one and oh in the NFC East. But of course, it sure doesn't feel like Washington is second 
in the NFC East right now. Ron Rivera, during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon, on whether there is an increased urgency to win now so as to not let the division get away from Washington prior to those late-season NFC East games. Correct, and, and that's the thing that we talked about today uh, during the meeting, was that with the way things are, the only thing that's being delineated right now in the NFC is really who the division leaders are. Other than that, there's a big jumble of people. So the thing that I told our guys we have to do is we have to now control what's happening. More so than anything else, it's on us. Looking at going through the month of November, um, you know, it, it's really we have to approach it one at a time, plan one at a time, win them one at a time to get us to December. If we get into December in the right frame of mind, right opportunity, right situation we're in, uh, anything can happen because we're playing five divisional games. That's true. The question is, how much will those games mean from a standing standpoint? It's hard to be that optimistic to think that Washington can get a wild card spot. I mean, yes, each conference does now have three wild card spots, but Washington again is two and five. So even if somehow eight and nine is good enough for an NFC wild card spot, how likely is Washington going six and four the rest of this regular season? Can you find six wins for Washington? the rest of this regular season. If you can, Sunday's game at the Broncos is almost certainly one of those wins. And so it's funny, off so many people having wanted to declare Washington's week two game against the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football as a must-win game or a code red game, and people like me having said that it was ridiculous to ascribe that kind of urgency to a week two game. Where the heck are these labels of urgency for this upcoming game at the Broncos? Because honestly, when it comes to just this season and it potentially being a postseason contending season for Washington, this Sunday at the Broncos is huge. This Sunday at the Broncos is must win. This Sunday at the Broncos is, wait for it, code red. That's critical. It's uh, code red for us. Yes, Jay. Code red. But think about it. If Washington wins at the Broncos on Sunday, Washington is 3-5 and five going into the bye week. Not great, but at least the three-game losing streak is over. And who knows what then happens. If Washington loses at the Broncos, Washington is 2-6 and six going into the bye week with a game against Tom Brady and the reigning, defending Super Bowl champion Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10, and you are staring right down the barrel at 2-7, and seven, and who knows how bad things get after that. Look, it may well be that what is best for Washington in the long term is the team losing a bunch of games the rest of the season for better positioning in the 2022 NFL Draft. But if you believe that this season still can be viable, then this Sunday's game at the Broncos is big. That's critical. It's uh, code red for us. Exactly, Jay. Code red. Well, there should always be urgency to have a good-looking lawn. Uh, You worked hard to buy your house. You deserve to have a good-looking lawn. Weedman cares for your lawn, so you don't have to. If you don't have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman Take care of your lawn. If you're not satisfied with who is currently caring for your lawn, make the switch to Weedman. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service 
that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says it's going to do. All of that sounds simple, and it is, but it's not nearly as common as it should be. When you call Weedman, you're speaking to someone in an office in your area, not someone somewhere in like the Midwest. You're not waiting for like 30 minutes to speak to that someone. Weedman uses superior products that really improve your soil, and Weedman only treats what needs to be treated. Weedman's products are of the highest quality. Weedman does not cut corners, and Weedman understands that a beautiful spring lawn starts now in the fall. And so Weedman is offering something special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. That price is a steal. That price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's what you do. Call 571-340-3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. You get about $100 off the usual price for those services. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast so you get the special deal. I want you to get that deal. Uh, you can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. All right, so we on Wednesday had the Washington football team's first practice of the week for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Denver Broncos at 425. Next segment, I'll talk Washington's defense. Right now, we focus on Washington's offense. And Washington's offense does remain very banged up, although there was some encouraging news on Wednesday. Brandon Sheriff on Wednesday was a limited participant in practice. That's notable. That's progress. Uh, Sheriff has been inactive for the last three games due to a knee injury, what was a reported sprained MCL that was suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. Now, personally, I think that Wes Schweitzer has been just fine at right guard, but Schweitzer on Wednesday did not practice due to his neck. Also, Samuel Cosme did not practice on Wednesday due to his ankle, which has had him as inactive for the last two games. And three Washington receivers did not practice on Wednesday. Curtis Samuel did not practice on Wednesday due to his groin. I know, shocking. Uh, Terry McLaurin did not practice on Wednesday due to his hamstring. And Deami Brown did not practice on Wednesday due to a knee, which in the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers last Sunday afternoon limited him to playing on just 14% of Washington's offensive snaps. Three other Washington offensive players beyond Sheriff were limited in practice on Wednesday. Antonio Gibson due to his shin, Ricky Seals-Jones due to his quad, and Cam Sims due to his hamstring. Perhaps we'll see Cam back this Sunday at the Broncos. Cam has been inactive for each of the last three games. Now, going back to Antonio Gibson. So he, of course, is dealing with this problematic shin. Gibson on October 8th in a post-practice press conference revealed that he was dealing with a stress fracture in the shin. ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter this past Sunday morning reported that Gibson had spent the early part of this season playing with a hairline fracture in his shin, and it also dealt with a shin area bone bruise. Now, a hairline fracture is the same thing as a stress fracture, so Schefter seems to have just reported what Gibson himself announced a few weeks earlier. Uh, Maybe Schefter should have cleared that reporting with Bruce Allen first, but uh, anyway, suffice it to say, Gibson's shin has not been well, and coincidentally or not, 
Gibson now has a fumbling problem. Uh, Gibson for the loss at the Packers was listed as questionable due to the shin. He had 14 carries for 51 yards, 3.64 yards per carry, and a fumble, and two receptions for five yards on two targets in playing on 42% of Washington's offensive snaps. But what likely sticks with you is what sticks with me, Gibson's fumble. Antonio Gibson committed his fourth fumble in seven games this season. Washington's seventh offensive drive resulted in a late third quarter turnover on downs. The first snap of the drive, Antonio Gibson had a first and 10 six-yard shotgun handoff run. But the fourth snap of the drive, on a first and 10 at the Packers 11, Antonio Gibson had a fumble on a five-yard under center handoff run. The ball was initially ruled to have been recovered by safety and Maryland product Darnell Savage. Rod Rivera, though, challenged the play, and the ruling was correctly changed to Chase Roulier having recovered the football. But still, this was another Antonio Gibson fumble. Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon on Antonio Gibson. The hard part is, you know, having the the, the, the shin injury the last couple of weeks, you know, he really hadn't gotten the, the type of practice he needs, especially at the running back position, um, to understand, you know, that, hey, in certain plays against certain defenses this week, this is what you've got to do. These are the little things that you've got to work on. Um, and I do think he's 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 just really still scratching the surface. I think he, you can see it. Um, you know, the unfortunate one, which would have been a really good one to see, is if he doesn't trip coming through the crease. Um, just see what would happen. I mean, because those are the types of explosive plays that we believe we can get from him. We saw those last year. Um, you know, he's been on the cusp a couple of times. Yes, he has been. I do think that Gibson has been productive as a runner this season, but the fumbling is a problem. I mean, it's hard to trust. Antonio Gibson as a ball carrier right now. Speaking of trust, Taylor Heineke, do you trust him as Washington's starting quarterback? Well, it doesn't appear as if he's going anywhere anytime soon. If you go by the way that Ron Rivera spoke at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon about Heineke, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is not close to being ready to play off the right hip subluxation that he suffered in the loss to the Los Angeles Chargers at FedEx Field in week one. And Rod, at least publicly, does not seem very interested in making the switch to Kyle Allen. And so Tay-Tay remains Washington's QB1. Uh, Heineke in the loss at the Packers bounced back from back-to-back bad performances, but he wasn't great. I mean, Heineke's total QBR per ESPN for the loss at the Packers was just 32.3, okay? I mean, that's not good. Uh, Heineke through week seven is just 22nd out of 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL and total QBR at 45.0. Heineke on Wednesday afternoon did his weekly post-practice press conference as Washington's starting quarterback. Here he was on whether he is feeling pressure to have a big game at the Broncos to show Ron Rivera and Scott Turner that the starting quarterback job should remain Heineke's after the week nine bye. No, no. Um, again, my, my biggest, my only job is to go out there, move the chains, don't turn the ball over, and win games. And if that means I throw for 120 yards or 400 yards, I, I don't care. You know, as long as we go out there and, and get a win, uh, that's all that matters to me. And um, again, that's that's not my mind. And of course, that's the right answer to that question. So what is Heineke's mindset right now? Heineke on Wednesday on his mindset right now in playing as Washington's starting quarterback. And this, I thought, was a pretty revealing answer from Heineke. So I kind of go back, you go back two weeks ago against the Saints and the Chiefs. I had a different mindset to where I, 
I didn't want to lose the job, and that resulted in bad play, in my opinion. Um, I think when I go out there and just have fun and have nothing to lose, that's when I feel like I'm at my best. So um, Green Bay was easy for me to go up there and play like that. Uh, it was a dream come true. Um, I feel like a little kid out there just playing in the stadium I've always wanted to play in. And um, I feel like I had a good game, just you know, a couple things here and there that just didn't work out. So I feel like the mindset of playing like you have nothing to lose is, is when I play my best. And I think that Heineke is totally right about that. Like most people, when Heineke is loose, when Heineke is free, when Heineke is allowed to run, he's at his best. Remember, Heineke in the loss at the Packers had 10 carries for 95 yards. Mobile Taylor Heineke was back in full effect. Second quarter, Taylor Heineke had a first and 10, 38-yard under center play action scramble up the A-gap. Third quarter, Taylor Heineke had a first and 10, 12-yard shotgun scramble. Heineke's 95 rushing yards were the second most rushing yards by a Washington quarterback in a game in franchise history. Taylor Heineke had been told by Washington to stop running so much in an effort to keep him healthy. Heineke's collegiate head coach, former Old Dominion head coach, Bobby Wilder revealed that on this podcast a few weeks ago, episode 160. The handcuffs were off Heineke, at least to a degree, in the loss at the Packers, and he not so coincidentally played his best game in three weeks, although his running did include a major gaffe, right? Third quarter, third and goal at the three, Taylor Heineke dropped down too soon, and thus his left knee was down at the one as he gave himself up on what ended up being a two-yard shotgun scramble upon replay review. And then on the next snap, third quarter, fourth and goal at the one, Taylor Heineke fumbled on a quarterback sneak run for no gain. He did recover the football, then extended the football past the goal line, but that did not count. He was ruled down prior to the extension. Washington challenged the play, but the initial call was upheld. Heineke on Wednesday on trying to find that balance between being an impactful runner and keeping himself healthy. Yeah, um, and it's funny that you kind of bring that up. That's what I was thinking about on that touchdown run. You know, uh, those guys were kind of closing in on me. I, going back and look at film, like I just ran, I could have ran it in. But in the the heat of the moment, I thought they were closing in quicker, and I wanted to protect myself and get in the end zone at the same time. So it's really unfortunate that happened. But um, yeah, I think throughout the last two three weeks, I've I've started to find find that that line um, where I can be aggressive but also stay healthy. So Heineke mentioned finding that line. What does finding that line mean? Um, I don't know. I'm not really thinking about that during the game. Um, it's, it's again, it's something that just pops up. You know, when I'm in danger, don't don't want to get hurt. Get down before those big guys hit you. And um, again, when when you have room to run, you know, take take whatever you can get and, and get down. Yeah, sounds simple. Now, what Heineke unequivocally has to avoid at the Broncos are turnovers. He had two turnovers in the loss at the Packers. Opening drive of the second half, second snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke in early third quarter lost fumble on a second and four sack by linebacker Rashawn Gary, who beat Charles Leno Jr. And then in the fourth quarter, third and eight at the Packers 12 with Washington trailing 24-7. Taylor Heineke threw a shotgun interception to corner Chandon Sullivan in the end zone for a touchback. The target was Adam Humphreys, who was not open. And this play, of course, emblematic of Washington going 0 of 4 in the red zone against the Packers defense, against which opponents had been 15 of 15 in the red zone 
this season. You know, Heineke seemingly has been good for at least one terrible interception per game. And that's the thing. His interceptions are almost always the results of bad throws slash bad decisions. His interceptions are not the results of, say, tipped passes. You know, these are legitimate interceptions. Heineke on Wednesday on his interception in the loss at the Packers. Yeah, so it was kind of the same situation against the Saints when I threw it, uh, tried to throw it to Curtis, um, where the, the, the guy's back is turned while I'm starting to throw the ball. And I thought, I felt like they were even, so I wanted to give him a, a back shoulder throw. Um, if you go back and look at the tape, if I just threw it to the back pylon, probably was going to be a touchdown. Um, but again, you, you go back, and right when I throw the ball, those guys turn their head. And you know, for them to be able to track it the whole way, it's easy for those corners. So um, again, just had to have a you know, smarter, smarter mindset there and, and maybe just live to see another down. Yeah, be more of a, wait for it, game manager. There's that phrase again. And so here we are with Taylor Heineke as Washington's starting quarterback. This is his opportunity to prove himself as an NFL quarterback. He may well never get another chance like this again. This was never supposed to happen, and yet it is happening. And Heineke on Sunday will be facing a Broncos defense that isn't very good. Uh, The Broncos through Week 7 per Football Outsiders DVOA metric are just 26th in the NFL in total defense, just 24th in the NFL in pass defense, and just 26th in the NFL in run defense. And the Broncos defense is banged up. Edge rusher Von Miller did not practice on Wednesday due to an ankle. Interior defensive lineman Mike Purcell did not practice on Wednesday due to a thumb. As for the Washington football team's bad defense, enough with this narrative that it is playing so much better. I'll get to that and much more after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's talk Washington football team defense right now off the start of the team's practice week on Wednesday for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Denver Broncos at 425. So Washington's defense remains very healthy. The only Washington defensive player on the active roster who did not practice fully on Wednesday was William Jackson III, and he was a limited participant in practice. Uh, This was due to his knee, which had him inactive 
for the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers last Sunday afternoon. So every Washington defensive player on the active roster practiced in some form or fashion on Wednesday. That is remarkable health for an NFL team in late October. Also remarkable is the way that people continue to talk about this Washington defense having been better recently, particularly the last two games. This, to me, is such an indictment of Washington's defense this season that the defense's last two performances are considered improvements from the way that the defense had been playing shows you how poorly the defense had been playing. The last two games are the 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field in Week 6 and the 24-10 loss at the Green Bay Packers in Week 7. Washington, in the loss to the Chiefs, allowed Patrick Mahomes to go 32-47 of for 397 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions, and to have three carries for 31 yards. Washington, in the loss at the Packers, allowed Aaron Rodgers to go 27-35 for 274 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions, and to have two carries for 17 yards, including a big 15-yard scramble. I'm sorry, I'm not celebrating those defensive performances. Washington, in the loss to the Chiefs, allowed the Chiefs to go 11-17 of 17 on third downs. Washington, in the loss at the Packers, allowed the Packers to go 6-12 of 12 on third downs. I'm sorry I'm not celebrating those defensive performances. And yet, Ron Rivera, at his post-practice press conference on Wednesday afternoon, got asked about Washington's defense having been better over the last two games. It's interesting because um, I, I thought this past week and the, and the week before, actually, you could really see the, the, them in sync in terms of the way they were rushing together. That was one of the things I really thought they've really stepped up, um, has been very good. Uh, and then you've also seen the last two weeks, for the most part, the rush and the coverage seem to be in sync as well. The understanding that, you know, third and medium to long is, you know, hey, we've got time. We can pin our ears back. We can go third medium to short now it's about making sure that we can connect quicker in terms of coverage which will help the, the pass rush so you're starting to see that as far as that's concerned uh, run gaps have been really good you, you see the guys again getting that feel for 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 you know holding their creases splitting the doubles getting vertical into their creases um, and, and really being accountable for those things so you know I feel very comfortable with what we're this will be a really good challenge this is a really good rushing offense so so this will be a good challenge as, as far as where we are if we have taken the strides that we have or at least appeared the last couple of weeks okay so look have there been some good things defensively from Washington in each of the last two games yes okay three second quarter takeaways in the loss to the Chiefs Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat combined for three sacks in the loss at the Packers. All right, you know, I'm all for being positive, but I'm even more for being real. And I don't know about you, but it's just so hard with this Washington defense to not be consumed by the reality that this defense has been a giant flop so far this season. The defense is loaded with talent. The defense has been mostly healthy, and yet the defense has been a giant flop. Washington through week seven per Football Outsiders DVOA metric is just 28th in the NFL in total defense, just 29th in the NFL 
in pass defense, is, believe it or not, eighth in the NFL in run defense. The run defense has been good. I have given Washington full credit for that. But the pass defense has been really bad, and that includes the third down defense. Washington, through week seven, is dead last in the NFL in third down defense. Washington's opponents this season have converted on a ridiculous 56.9% of third down opportunities. And so thankfully, here was Ron on Wednesday on having to be careful not to lower the bar too much in evaluating Washington's defense. No, and I, and I, I, I agree with that. You know, you do have to be careful. You say, well, wow, we, we did this. This was good. But, you know, at the end of the day, we still lost. I mean, it's about winning. And, and, and when, you, when you win, things do most certainly look and feel better. Um, and, and that's the big thing we have to always, you know, keep in mind. But one thing that losing does tell you, does tell you the truth. And so as you watch it and you look at it, you can feel good about some of the things that have happened. Uh, will we build on those things? Yes. Will we try to correct the ones that were incorrect? Absolutely. Because um, as I said, the, the big thing in the ultimate is it really is about winning and, 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 and playing better. I do like the fact that they did play hard. I do like the fact that, you know, they played up to the very end because we kept ourselves in it for the most part until it really got away at the very end. All right. Two guys in particular on Washington's defense who Ron talked about on Wednesday were Landon Collins and Jamin Davis. So Landon in the loss at the Packers, playing his new role of a downhill in the box player, essentially a linebacker, led Washington with seven tackles and had a fumble recovery. But Landon played on just 43% of Washington's defensive snaps. Ron on Wednesday on what he liked about Landon's performance and the loss at the Packers. I really liked the matchups we had. Uh, he had in terms of his coverages, and then what I really liked was his 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 ability to get downhill and attack the line of scrimmage. You know, which we really did see. Did um, and and those are the things that really stick out about Landon's game. Is he, he's an attack oriented player. You know, we blitzed him a little bit more than we had um, in in the past. And uh, it, what it does is it creates opportunities for him at the line, which helps us. I mean, when you're making plays at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage, it's going to impact the defense a little bit better. And, and that's probably the biggest thing we got from him was his impact in terms of, you know, instead of it being, you know, second and, and, and six or something like that, now it's, we're looking at second and eight, second and nine, um, because, you know, he got that feel for attacking. Okay, but what about that playing time, you know? That playing time, though. Uh, Again, Landon in the loss at the Packers played on just 43% of Washington's defensive snaps. Landon's playing time percentages from weeks one through six were 80, 75, 58, 100, 100, and 83%. Landon Collins is used to playing a lot. He did not play a lot in the loss at the Packers. Ron on Wednesday on whether he talks to Landon prior to a game like last Sunday's game in which Landon did not play nearly as much as he is used to playing. Yeah, and he sees that. I mean, he, he understands it based on the way we practice, you know, and, and, and that's one of the things, you know, but again, playing the position he has, he's still going to play a, a majority of the snaps. It's just, you know, again, based on what the game plan is going to call for. Yeah, we'll see what Landon's playing time ends up being at the Broncos this Sunday afternoon, but I suspect that what we just heard there from Ron is code for, yeah, we're not that interested in playing Landon a ton anymore, and I don't blame Ron if he's at that point for being at that point one bit. 
All right, so whereas Landon Collins did not play a ton at the Packers, Jamin Davis did. Jamin Davis in the loss at the Packers played on 98% of Washington's defensive snaps. That really stood out. This was off Jamin having played on just 23% of Washington's defensive snaps in the loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5 and on 56% of Washington's defensive snaps in the loss to the Chiefs at FedEx Field in week six. Ron on Wednesday on why Jamin played so much in the loss at the Packers. Was this because Jamin has been better or was this game plan specific? Well, it's a little bit of both. You know, he's, he's shown us some, some, some very good improvement. You see him really getting more and more comfortable playing with more confidence. Um, and it had a lot to do with game planning. We really felt good about some of the things that we were going to do and it really suited him very well. All right, so Jamin, at least according to Ron, has been better. How has Jamin been better? Really, you don't see the hesitation. You know what I'm saying? When the ball snapped, there's usually a one, two, and then we go. Now we're starting to see the things that, you know, now you can feel it's become a little more natural for him in terms of what he reads, believing what he sees. You know, part of part of getting these guys, you know, from, from the college ranks is it, obviously the offenses are a little bit different. And now learning these techniques, it, it, it hampered him a little bit. But now he seems to be getting the flow of it. He's moving very quickly, getting good reads and, and trusting himself. You know, Jamin to me was spotty on Sunday. First quarter, Jamin Davis failed in an attempted tackle at tight end Mercedes Lewis on an Aaron Rodgers second and 10, 12-yard under center completion to Lewis. Third quarter, Jamin Davis got beat by tight end Robert Tunyon on Aaron Rodgers third and three. 20-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Tunyon and suing extra point gave the Packers a 21-7 lead. But look, I'm all for Jamin Davis playing a lot. Let him take his lumps. Let him gain valuable experience. And let's see if this guy ultimately is worthy of Washington having spent, remember, the number 19 overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft on him. All right, so one of the things that I try to do on this podcast is balance analysis with emotion. That's a lot of what this podcast is about. You know, analysis, logic, rational thinking, balanced with the raw emotion of being a fan. And so I often have those two ways of approaching sports battling each other. And I have that battle going on right now as a lifelong Bullets slash Wizards fan. On the one hand, the Wizards have only played four games in this 2021-2022 NBA regular season. Drawing any major conclusions after four games is ridiculous. But on the other hand, I think that I may just love this Wizards team. The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, Stephen A., that team, our team, what a job! by the Wizards on Wednesday night. The Wizards improved to 3-1 and one with a 116-107 win at the Boston Celtics. So you start with this. The depleted Wizards got even more banged up. Daniel Gafford suffered a right quad contusion, played for just 7 minutes, 8 seconds as a starter. The severity of his injury is unknown, but that's a big deal. The Wizards winning despite Gafford barely playing. Remember, the Wizards are without another key big man in Thomas Bryant as he continues to recover from a season-ending partially torn left ACL that was suffered this past January 9th. He has yet to have played this season. Also, the Wizards are without Rui Hachimura, 
of him having missed the start of Wizards training camp due to personal reasons. He has yet to have played this season. Also, the Wizards on Wednesday night were without Haul Neto due to a left shoulder contusion. And yet, the Wizards in this depleted state never trailed after the first quarter. They got outscored in the third quarter, 34-25, but then won the fourth quarter, 29-21. And the Wizards did this with two Ds, defense and depth. The Wizards held the Celtics to just 10 of 29 on threes. Wizards held three key Celtics starters, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, and Jalen Brown to a combined three of 17 on threes. And the Wizards got contributions from a bunch of different guys on a night on which Bradley Beal was woeful offensively. Now, I want to make this point about Beal. He had a really bad offensive game, but he did contribute in other ways to the win. So Beal in 35 minutes, 15 seconds as a starter, went 0-6 on threes and just 7 of 19 on twos and committed five turnovers. He was not good offensively. But Beal finished with 10 rebounds. Beal finished with three steals. Beal finished with two assists. And Beal was a part of the Wizards holding Jason Tatum to one of eight on threes. You know, I've spent plenty of time talking about how Beal is an elite scorer, but not an elite player. Well, it's only fair to credit Beal when he doesn't do well offensively, but does do well defensively. And he was a part of the Wizards doing an overall nice job on Tatum. Tatum did score 14 points in the third quarter, but the Wizards overall did a good job on Tatum. Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Bradley Beal's night. Tatum had that stretch um, third quarter, but, you know, I thought he did a great job, you know, and everyone did because at some point everyone was on him. But he, my thing is the defensive end. Keep defending. You're going to make shots. Your rhythm will come. Um, he's not forcing shots. He's taking the shots the defense is giving him. Uh, he's trying to play the right way. So he hasn't made a lot of them yet, but at some point that dam will break. Yes, it will. And so the Wizards on Wednesday night in this win at the Celtics were led offensively by a variety of players. The Wizards went just 9-25 to on threes, but also went 34-59 of on twos. And leading the way were the principal players acquired in that five-team megatrade that featured the Wizards sending Russell Westbrook to the Los Angeles Lakers this past offseason. Montrez Harrell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, all contributing to this win at the Celtics. Just start with Harrell, who has been a beast off the bench for the Wizards so far this season. Harrell on Wednesday night, 25 points on 10 of 13 shooting, 11 rebounds, including four offensive boards, two blocks, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 21 and 38-12 off the bench. Harrell in a fourth quarter that the Wizards won 29-21, had seven rebounds. Dinwiddie was big on Wednesday night. Two of five on threes, six of 11 on twos, finished with 22 points in 29 minutes, 31 seconds as a starter. Dinwiddie in that fourth quarter that the Wizards won 29-21, scored 11 points. Here was West Jr. during his postgame press conference on Dinwiddie. Made play after play after play, so I, I give him a lot of credit. Um, you know, once we got through that stretch of turnovers, we were settled, we stayed organized, and he made big plays down the stretch. You know, I think we saw it the other night, time and time again, someone stepped up, made a play. 
No doubt. Uh, Kyle Kuzma did go just one of five on threes, but he went three of six on twos, finished with 12 points, eight rebounds, and two steals, and 33 minutes, four seconds as a starter. And Kentavious Caldwell-Pope went three of four on threes in 31 minutes, six seconds as a starter. The worry with the Wizards going into this season was that they were lacking in superstar power, which is what you generally need to be a really good NBA team. That concern remains, but what the Wizards have going for them right now are two things. Number one, they're playing defense. West Jr., at least so far, is getting the team, by and large, to play defense. And number two, the Wizards are deep. The Wizards have depth, and thus they're not overly reliant on one or two guys, as was the case last season with Beal and Westbrook. This is a very likable Wizards team right now, and they'll be back in action on Thursday night. Next up for the Wiz, home to the Atlanta Hawks, Thursday night at 7. Well, the Capitals on Wednesday night lost at home to a once-proud franchise that has been terrible for years now, the Detroit Red Wings. But A, the Red Wings have actually been all right so far this season, and B, the Caps did get another point. The Caps now have gotten at least a point in each of their seven games in this 2021-2022 NHL regular season. Caps fell to 4-0-3 with a 3-2 overtime loss to the Red Wings at Capital One Arena. Oddly, each of the Caps' three overtime losses this season has taken place at Capital One Arena. What bothers you about this game on Wednesday night is that the Caps did blow a 2-0 second period lead. But otherwise, you know, this was far from a shameful performance by the Caps. The Caps lost despite finishing the game per natural stat trick with 14 5-on-5 high danger shot attempts to the Red Wings 4. The Caps lost despite going 2-4 on the power play and 2-2 on the penalty kill. So a good game for Caps special teams, which have not been so good so far this season, and Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov scored the Caps' two power play goals on Wednesday night. So each guy continues a really good start to the season. Ovechkin scored a power play goal 19.05 into the first period as he deposited the puck on a snapshot rebound shot off his initial shot on goal from near the left post off a great feed by Lars Eller from behind the goal line near the right corner. Uh, the goal moved Ovechkin to being just four power play goals shy of passing Dave Anderchuk for the most regular season power play goals in NHL history. So we are nearing yet another milestone here for the great eight, and Ovechkin is slaying it so far this season. Ovechkin threw games on Wednesday, number one in the NHL with eight goals this season. Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Ovechkin. Well, I told you, it seems like he's in a real good spot. He's playing with pace. Um, you know, he's finding himself with the puck on his stick a lot. And, um, Again, it was more of a, I think, a normal routine for him throughout the summer coming into training camp. He had a good training camp, and um, now he's off and running. Yes, he is. Also, Evgeny Kuznetsov scored a power play goal exactly four minutes into the second period on a wrister from the right circle just seconds after a faceoff win by TJ Oshie. Vitek Vanacek was the cap starting goaltender for the fifth time in seven games this season, stopped 22 of the 25 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Vanacek for natural stat trick stopped just two of the four high danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped eight of the nine medium danger shots on goal that he faced, and stopped all 11 of the low danger shots on goal 
that he faced. Uh, Vanacek gave up the game-winning goal to Dylan Larkin on a curl-and-drag wrister from the left circle, just 137 into overtime. So, okay, I mean, nobody feels great about losing, but again, you lost in overtime. You got a point. Just hard to be that upset with the loss. Just hard to be that upset with the Caps so far this season. Seven games into the season, Caps have gotten at least a point in each game. Next up for the Caps, home to the Arizona Coyotes, Friday night at 7. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 177, will be a Football Friday extravaganza. In-depth preview of the 2-5 and five Washington football team at the 3-4 and four Denver Broncos on Sunday afternoon at 425, including the best of what Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio have to say during their post-practice press conferences on Thursday, my rhyming keys for a Washington win, and a special guest, Denver Broncos insider Zach Stevens of the DNVR.com. He is the host of the DNVR Broncos podcast. Also, college football. I'll give you my Goldilocks for college football week nine. Picks against the spreads for Maryland, Indiana, Virginia, BYU, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, at Navy Tulsa, and I'll post-game the Wizards game on Thursday night against the Atlanta Hawks at Capital One Arena at 7. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. That's critical. It's uh, code red for us. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.